Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. We will employ an exciting, fast, explosive, and diverse offense combined with a physical, punishing, relentless, suffocating defense. Purdy rolls right, looking to throw. Benito gives chase, comes back left. Purdy still looking, sets up, balls loose, rolling around in Iowa State territory. Redmond picked it up. Redmond on the run. Redmond scores. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. You guys can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, pretty much anywhere you guys can find a podcast on your podcast network. Um, go ahead and follow us, smash the subscribe button, and give us five-star ratings. We really appreciate it, and just makes it easiest easier for us to find. Um, I'm your host tonight, Kami Amrabi, and I'm joined by two people. Um, we've been talking for a minute before the podcast started, uh, Chisholm, Chisholm Holland. How are you doing today? Doing good, brother. Doing good. How are uh, things in your world? I'm, I'm pretty cool. Um, my regular day job is being a teacher and classes start on Friday mm-hmm. and that's like the most awkward day to start classes. It's like, Hey guys, all right, I'll see you guys later. You know, it's 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 one of those things where I kind of liked that when I was a student. I mean, like like starting on Thursday kind of makes more sense because you're like, hey, what's up? I'm your teacher, and the, you know, the next day's like, all right, let's get to know each other. But that first day, just like, what up? All right, I'll see you guys later. Have a good weekend. So it's just kind of whatever, and you don't you, you don't even know if you're those are going to be the same kids in the classroom because they move around so much at the beginning of the year. But uh, it's it's been pretty okay. And then tomorrow is the official start of OU classes. So the campus will actually be buzzing with students and not just like students walking from here and there and getting, uh, you know, this before the inevitable massive parking sweep of fines get dished out to students underneath their windshield wipers. So that'll be fun. I'm guessing I still have some outstanding ones from a decade ago and I'll never learn. I mean, it's, I don't know what the statute of limitations is on that kind of thing, but I hope it's 10 years. So, And the voice you just heard is Jack Shields, who is talking about his parking tickets from OU. Remember when they did, they tried to put the barnacle on our cars? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was a big thing around the end of my college. Like, if you parked, uh, this wasn't just, I mean, yeah, they were doing the barnacle. Oh, wait, are you talking about the thing that's different from a boot? Yeah, like the, I think big, you have a boot. the okay. big yellow thing they were putting on your you windshield. windshield. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, that was a few years ago, right? The yeah, it was. It felt like a minute ago. It, it yeah, everyone was weeks. making fun of it, and they just decided to stop doing it because Twitter was roasting them so hard, essentially. Well, because like so, uh, one of the kids figured out how to get them off. Yep, we fi- figured out oh, how to get it yeah. off. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that like, was a fun day on Twitter. Right now in Europe, in specific spots, um, I can't remember what, which countries are doing it in. Uh, they're they're also adopting the barnacle, and ju- you can just go to the replies and or comments and look at a bunch of U.S. college students being like, "Hey, we've been through this before. <laughs> just go on and turn on your defroster all the way up, and like this, it'll just remove the suction, and you can just remove it and just like go about your business. <laughs> it's it's incredible. So you know, uh, globalism at its finest, making taking care of people across the pond when they get a barnacle on their windshield, just there you go. crank that defroster up, homie, and get that thing off. And if I remember right, like, wasn't it like a, like you called and made, like you paid for the ticket and then they gave you a code and then you had to return the barnacle. Like you had yeah. to take it back to the office. Like, they they made you do more physical labor. Yeah. Like just for this, you're going to take it back to our office. Like, nah, yeah. nah, son, I'm just going to leave it where you thought you, <laughs> you thought you left it. Yeah. Oh man. But anyways, we have a little bit to get to today, guys. Camping with the defense. A lot of notes coming out uh, specifically about the defense. Uh, the offense, I feel like a lot of people have a pretty good idea what it's going to look like. I think a lot of people have heard plenty about how uh, well the young wide receivers are acclimating to Jeff Levy's offense, along with what Dylan Gabriel's possible uh, possible outcome will be. Uh, so let's sp- we're going to spend some time specifically with the defense today, talking about the OU atmosphere, um, and especially with their leaning into going to the SEC, which is either next year or the year after, or maybe the year after that. Who knows? We don't know. Um, and then we'll we'll do some what's more likelies. So we're one week away from actual game week, which sounds really, really, really odd, right? Like one week away from today. We're heading into the first week of September, Labor Day, lots of college football on. Nebraska playing in Ireland. That's going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Can't wait for that. I'd, I'd love OU to be sent to that thing. It'll never happen, but that'd be a lot of fun. Who's Nebraska playing in Ireland? Northwestern. That's an interesting pairing. Yeah. Yeah, they either do a, a Big Ten or ACC game every year, I think. I don't think they're looping any other conferences into that, unfortunately. But. Can, can I ask a really stupid question? Why, they do, why? why does this exist? Like, what, what is the... <laughs> the no- novelty of it? I, the network execs have decided that the novelty of location, you know, helps ratings, I guess, or something, yeah. because it obviously doesn't make sense for the participants very yeah. much. But definitely, I mean be cool to get to go on a trip to ireland but yeah. i mean the cost associated with that it's not very practical obviously so i don't know i i think it's kind of cool i mean if someone else wants to you know pay for it and deal with that and you know that's for great. sure it's all going international 100 percent. yeah i mean the irish don't give a shit about it but i mean yeah. you know right I mean, if any fan base is going to travel across an ocean to watch their team it is nebraska fans that's so true. I'll give them that. I mean, they picked the right school. So I, I imagine it's going to be a, you know, relatively large sea of red at, are they playing it at Croke Park or something like that? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I have don't remember. no idea. They've got a few big stadiums in Dublin. I think they're for, um, you know, Irish football and yeah. stuff like that. They've got a few big ones, but yeah, I'm not so sure. So you don't think Northwestern's going to show up? You don't, no, be a lot of wild you don't think so. They have there. now, their alumni have the money to swing that trip. Sure. Mm-hmm. But there, I mean, that's, you know, Northwestern, Stanford, schools like that, not not big traveling fan bases, but, <laughs> you know, they, they can definitely swing it. It's feasible. Yeah. I want to order, 
I wonder if they would have a lot better attendance if it was, of course, you know, Notre Dame playing. Notre Dame would be the one I would pick over Nebraska because, A, that's an enormous fan base, and, B, their alumni have enough money to do that. So that would would be the one school that I think would outdraw Nebraska. But other than that, I mean, they made a pretty big – Like, even NFL games in Europe – like people show up, but it's not yeah. like they pack the entire stadium. Uh, I mean, I feel in London, I feel like they have been. I mean, there there are enough people who care about the NFL over there. Like the general sports fan doesn't necessarily care about it, but there are enough people in London that a large enough percentage of people, you know, can fill up the stadium. Essentially, yeah. like, there, there's some fans over there for sure. And then I'm always wondering stadium. with like the 17 game thing. Like once they yeah. once it's not like two or three times. Like once it's yeah. 17 times a year, does that what does that number look like? I also like the random jerseys at those games. Like no one is wearing the jersey of the team's playing. It's just Dan Marino jerseys, no dolphins in sight. Just random. Like yeah, Rob Lowe and the NFL hat. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) what I was about to mention. It's like you don't know what to do. Just put on an NFL hat. Just put on the logo. I like the games down uh, in Mexico City and Mexico City and Estadio Azteca, like where they have plenty of problems. They have plenty of problems with uh, laser pointers and quarterbacks' eyes. I always enjoy those uh, those headlines after games. A little bit of a tangent here. Do you remember when that was like a societal issue in the 90s? Oh, yes. We had no idea how to solve it. Samson having to get on the PA and know you basketball game and tell everyone to stop doing laser pointers on the court. That was like a, it was like a, you know, a scourge on society at that point, like the late 90s. What What a time to be alive. Oh, man. So... We are one week away from UTEP week, UTEP hate week, if you want to call it that. Oklahoma's actually a 32-point favorite right now. I think the over-under is, it's it's above 50. I think it's like around 55, 56. Um, I don't necessarily trust this team in lines. Uh, I was talking to Chisholm about this before we started podcasting. I just don't trust this team in, in, in betting on lines. But, Jack, where would you sit on that? Would you trust OU with that 32-point with that 32 point line against UTEP with UTEP. I do. I mean, I, I have my concerns as far as the offense is concerned. My concern is the offensive line just early in the year while it's trying to gel. That's usually a concern with Bedenbo early in the season. It takes a while for that unit to gel. We go over this every year and, mm-hmm. you know, you know, when they face stiff competition early, you know, that glaring weakness can show a little bit. I feel like against UTEP, the offense is just going to hum you know, with Jeff Levy's offense and that tempo and everything like that, I think OU's going to put enough points on the board for sure. And I think the defense will do well enough for OU to cover on that. I, I do think, I mean, granted OU and the line are not big friends there, but, um, you know, at least for the past several years, but I think in this instance, I'd probably take OU in the 32. What about you, Chisholm? Uh, I think I would. I think this team is like very aware of narrative around them. And they, they know nationally there's a whole lot of people who are like, just like, oh, Lincoln Riley left, Caleb Williams left, this thing is over. Uh, and they've used that as motivation all summer, right, to like kind of fight against mm-hmm. that. I just think the first week is such a layup for them to come out and try to, you know, hang a hunter on somebody. Uh, and so, yeah, to your point. And, and Levy's talked about it all offseason. Like, he doesn't believe in, like, calling off the dogs. Like, he'll pull the starters, but when the second string come in, he's running the same offense. And, like, mm-hmm. they're just going to put up points. And they – they put the third string in, they're going to run the offense. And like, they're, they're not going to do the sit on the ball for, for 80, you know, for 80 seconds, then punt it back to the other team. They're not doing that. 
Um, so, yeah, I think that we're going to see a big number at UTEP if I had to guess. Yeah, and, and that's a good point that you bring up is that, you know, to kind of squash a lot of that narratives, uh, a lot of the narratives coming out of the offseason, and to really just put out a statement win, right? Yeah. Like, it, it's UTEP, you should win by 32, but maybe score in the 60s just to make sure everybody knows you're there. I mean, if you pay attention to national pundits that just, like, put stuff out for just for attention, like Colin Cowherd's Cowherd's still ranking Texas like number three or number four in his top. Now I want to qualify that. Apparently, that was not actually his poll. Oh, was that not his? Yeah, he actually commented and said, "No, I'm not that crazy." See, isn't it wild though that we have to be like, yeah, because believable he put it out there. It's believable. That's his. It's very believable. Yeah, Yeah, that is very believable that he would. He had USC like number four, number two, or something like that, which would check out. So, I mean, that seems to be like his narrative anyways he's had lincoln on a show so many times to defend yeah. himself for something whatever but he's a bit of a usc jocks never oh, so i never would have guessed <laughs> but so according to brent and we were talking about this before pod too brent is like the most transparent ou football head coach that the sooners have had in a long time he'll just come out and straight and tell the media like yeah this guy like jalen the red was like yeah he's got a mild concussion oh yeah this guy's dinged up yeah, this dude just tore. Uh, he's talking about uh, Ted Roof's son, TD. Like, oh yeah, I just tore his bicep muscle, uh, and he, he's he's looking for maybe coming back. Lincoln would call that an upper arm injury, if yeah. I recall correctly. <laughs> and it's it's just so incredible. Upper and arm. That's too. That's too specific. You call it a yeah. torso injury. Yeah. A torso injury. Yeah. Above the waist injury. Yeah. On this guy, upper it's body. Like, so you're just guessing. Upper body. So yeah, you got people like around on campus following him around. Like, all right, what's in a sling? What's in a boot? Like, we gotta like, you know, we gotta eliminate factors here. But according to Brent, Billy Bowman is the guy that's playing the best on defense day in and day out. Is the most consistent, and many believe that in, in inside the program and of course outside the program that Billy's gonna have a breakout year in comparison to of course, last year where. Brent even commented on himself uh, when he came into Norman that saying like he was put in so many positions that he should not have, or especially that so early on in his career that could, like, you know, really kind of like slow your progress and kind of maybe like screw you up as a football player. If he would have stayed in that regime with Alex Grinch. And so I'm going to come to you Chisholm first. What does a breakout year for Billy Bowman actually look like on the field to you? Yeah. I mean, Safeties are tough, right? And so for me, it's hands-on footballs. And the expectation for me uh, with these safeties and Key Lawrence specifically is right creating turnovers, uh, which is just something that group has not done for three seasons in Oklahoma. Uh, so that'd be a pretty big identity change. But basically, if Billy Bowman has you know a handful of PBUs uh, in the first couple of games, we're going to know that's a big change from where they were. Uh, so yeah, I mean. Billy being a playmaker, being a guy who creates something out of nothing, right? Who, who gets the football back to the offense early. Like that's what a breakout year looks like. So is it like some monster tackle numbers? I hope not. Hopefully the free mm-hmm. safety isn't having to, you know, get a bunch of tackles. Uh, but I would just say it's, it's again, it's, it's creating turnovers. It's getting hands on footballs. It's, it's making things difficult on that back end because this, you know, these past few years, it just has not been the case. Yeah. Uh, Jack. Well, as far as Billy Bowman is concerned and, you know, measuring a breakout year for him, honestly, you know, for someone in his position, not being a liability would be the thing there where you could judge that. I mean, you, you've seen defensive backs over, you know, the past you know, 20 years, you know, their sort of relationship with the OU fan base. There's 
always one who the entire fan base is cursing throughout the season and the off season and him not being that guy would be a plus for sure. I mean, but as far as having buzz out of fall camp is concerned, you always, always, always have to take that with a grain of salt because every single year there is one guy who has talked up a bunch in the off season and turns out to be, you know, kind of a dud usually. I mean, you've got to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, you remember the 2018 off season, for instance, who was the guy who everyone was buzzing about and how he was doing that off season. Do you remember? Oh, 2018. Mm-hmm. I forget who that would be Buki Radley high. <laughs> now, how did Buki do in 2018? Do you recall? Wasn't he the last time I saw Buki live? I believe was he had also knocked himself out while knocking out a Kansas State tight end in the that was his one big hit of the entire season, and he knocked himself out in the process. Oh man, like and and see to his credit, by his third year at OU, you know, there were some not so advantageous matchups like putting him on Charlie Kohler. I mean, I could have yeah. told you that that wasn't a very good idea, but when he was matched up with slot receivers that year, he was great. He, I mean, he was one of the most valuable people on that defense in 2020 because of how well he matched up with little slot receivers in the big 12, but that's a tangent. Anyway, what the bottom line here, you've got to take, buzz on an individual player with a huge grain of salt as far as fall camps oh yeah there's always one person hopefully that's not billy bowman you know mm-hmm. i'd love for him to have a breakout year and i think he will i mean i think he'll do pretty well because last year he was playing out of position so often he was forced to play corner a bunch i mean that tcu yep. game that everyone likes to talk about he mm-hmm. shouldn't have been playing corner so i don't really use that as a detraction for him honestly because that's not where he was really meant to be he's five nine and having him matched up on quentin johnson not great wasn't really his fault. So anyway, you know, I think, uh, you know, with him being at safety and nickel, you know, probably a little bit better fit for sure. Heck, they even, they even played Key Lawrence at corner a few times last year. He did okay sometimes. And he did pretty well. Too. Yeah. I mean, it was out of necessity Circumstances. Again. Yeah. And, and it's, of course, it's always nice to see like Brent say those things. Then you get video clips of Billy having one handed interceptions yeah, in these nice. video clips. Like, oh, that's cool. Look, he's, he's telling the truth. And of course, Brent hasn't really given us reason not to trust him. I mean, he's been pretty transparent and pretty honest yeah. with everybody. True. Um, and so, and another big, another big battle in camp actually defensively are between the two linebackers that everybody really, really loves, uh, just to be on the field between David Aguebu and Danny Stutzman. One of course is your lovable goofball who is like your Gronkowski, but on defense and David Aguebu, uh, the other, he is freakishly athletic. Uh, he lost some weight. I think he was at 250 at one point He's down like 237, 236. More mobile, stupid long arms, uh, just a high motor. Uh, what does that really mean for this linebacking core? I mean, you got Deshaun White, he's going to be there. You have Shane Witter as a guy who's been there for feels like five, six, seven years now. Uh, TD Roof is apparently going to apply for a medical red shirt and play again on special teams and back somebody up next year. You already have Jaron uh, Kanick, who can play Ch- Cheetah. We talked about that with Ch- Chisholm, uh, the last podcast. You can play any iteration of a linebacker. 
What's it mean when Stutzman and Aguebu are really the two guys battling it out for a really big competition? Like that's the main one people are looking at. And Jack, I'm going to come to you first. Well, not to sound too cliche here, but I mean, two guys pushing each other, that can't be a bad thing. I mean, I feel like if one of them was really separating themselves from the other, it probably wouldn't be that great of a sign because I mean, the one way you could look at it is that the, depth would not be ideal at that position. I mean, it, this tells me that you have two guys who can rotate at Mike linebacker. And that's definitely a good sign as far as that's concerned. But, um, you know, as far as styles concerned, I mean, kind of like you were mentioning, Kamiar, you're getting two contrasting styles there. You've got Stutzman who, you know, is going to be plugging up holes quite a bit. And then you've got Aguebu who's got a lot of length and can, you know, with his mobility can probably help a little bit in the passing game as well. So, Something that, um, you know, you get contrasting styles there. So I think as a whole, it's a net positive for sure. Chisholm, what about you? Uh, yeah, I think um, I think this is like a great like barometer of how Brent is going to work as a, as a head coach because uh, obviously these two guys play defense, but I'd also say they're two of the three best linebackers probably in that core right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, does Brent get creative and say like, yeah, technically these are two guys that we would consider Mike linebackers. How do we put them both on the field at the same time? And Jack's exactly right. They have a, di- a, a different style of skill set uh, that might lend itself playing a little bit side by side and, you know, third down packages or first down packages. I don't know. And so like, I'm just like, I'm looking at that competition as like a, yeah, who trots out there for snap number one, but also what does this defensive creativity look like? Right. Cause like, that's something Brent has always been very good at at Clemson is, how do I get my best 11 guys on the field when it matters the most? It's something, frankly, that drove us crazy last year with the defense uh, was on the biggest plays. You know, the, the best players weren't out there. I don't think that's going to be the case this year. And if and if Guaybu is, you know, lost 20 pounds and he's a lot more mobile, maybe it makes sense to put him out there instead of Shane Winter in big spots. I don't know. So, like, I'm just looking at it from, like, a, a creativity standpoint because that's something that this defense has talked about behind the scenes a bunch, which is we're going to play the best 11 guys. We just got to figure out how to get them all on the field. I keep on seeing like visions of Stutzman still being in the middle, but them using a Guaybu as an edge rusher in some capacities on third downs, just yeah. because of the type of athlete he is, which would be loads of fun. And then we just uh, saw yesterday. Uh, which an edge rusher with the, with the opposite defensive end of, of Ethan Downs, right? Being up in the yeah. air. That maybe they maybe using Witter in that, not Witter, sorry, uh, a Guaybu in that way as a pass rusher mm-hmm. might help alleviate some problems they have in other areas. Yeah, definitely. And and uh, like they they just lost the pass rusher rusher in Brendan Walker who um, he put out a, a lengthy tweet yesterday but he's remaining on on the team as a defensive assistant uh, just like uh, oh who who just did JC. who just did that earlier this season who Jeremiah that's right uh, Cordell yeah um, they they got hurt but they're remaining on the team on staff as an assistant to learn uh, which I think is pretty cool and pretty neat uh, and. Uh, uh, good luck to him. Not that he will actually really need it. And so looking at the guys in the far back in the secondary, there's this really big expectation because these guys have been playing at OU for a while. And many of them have had their very, very high moments on that field between Woody Washington. You have had uh, a lot of people love Keel Lawrence. A lot of people have been waiting on Billy Bowman DJ Graham has had amazing highlights, but you never, never really focus on the lowlights either. And so there's a, there's this expectation that 
the Oklahoma secondary should be quite good, but the reports in the last few scrimmages, and especially with what Brent is asking the defense defensive backs to do in this iteration of the defense in comparison to what Alex Grinch was having them do in the offense in these later, later scrimmages, having a lot of success on a scale of one to 10, one being, I'm not really concerned to 10 being like, okay, yeah, I'm pretty concerned. What would you guys say about the secondary uh, specifically about how good they are or how good they're going to be? by week, let's say, by week five. Week one against UTEP, I mean, I think Oklahoma is just going to overwhelm them in the trenches. But other teams, once you get into more conference play, uh, specifically when you hit that run of TCU and Kansas State, Texas, et cetera, it's going to be more challenging. Um, are you guys at all, and I'll go to you first, Jack, are you guys at all concerned, on a scale of 1 to 10, with the defensive backs, especially with news at a camp saying wide receivers, even like your freshman, true freshman wide receivers having really good days? Does that concern you? I don't think necessarily it's the reports out of camp that would necessarily give me pause on that end because, I mean, I, I honestly think this wide receiving group is going to be really strong after it's all said and done. I mean, with – you know, LV and uh, Hester from Mizzou. I mean, you did pretty well in the portal as far as receivers concerned. And the two young guys are enormous. I mean, uh, Jaden Gibson and uh, Nick Anderson are both, you know, in the 6'3 to 6'4 range. I mean, Gibson might even be 6'5, but, uh, you know, they're tough matchups, you know, for any defensive back. So that says, that might say a little more about the wide receivers. But as far as the defensive backs are concerned, yeah you're going to have to find a viable second corner because, you know, DJ, he's got a lot of experience. He has a lot of highlights, but you've also seen some weak moments from him. I mean, take this with a grain of salt because it was a bowl game, but he got burned a lot in that Oregon game. If you recall correctly, I mean, some of it was in the second half when, you know, the game was kind of out of hand, but you saw quite a bit of it. So, you know, he's had some low lights like that. And then you've got a CJ Colden who, He's kind of a, you know, high floor, low ceiling kind of guy, a guy who could probably be consistent and serviceable and, you know, has done pretty well at, you know, Wyoming. So he's someone who, you know, in a pinch can probably be competent is what I would guess. So, you know, at corner, odds are that one of the guys who is trotting at it out at CB2 is going to be at least okay and not a liability. That's what you have to bank on because you know Woody's good. So, you know, Joshua Eaton, maybe he can step up. I mean, he had his weaknesses last year as well, but he has a high ceiling. So he's a guy who, you know, maybe he can take a step uh, under this new regime. But safety, you know, with Key, I mean, you know he's going to be pretty good. He's going to be decent. Mm -hmm. Then you've got Billy Bowman who could, you know, play either safety or nickel. And then, you know, the guy from North Carolina, remind me of his name again. I'm going Uh, Trey Morrison. Trey Morris. Yeah. You know, he's a Trey Morrison. Yeah. He's, you know, he's got plenty of experience as well. And, you know, you would think that he probably won't be a liability. So, you know, you're going to have to see a little bit from young guys. You're going to have to see a little bit of Jordan Mukes probably, you know, it's, and, you know, some of these freshmen, uh, you know, Jaden Rowe was a guy who, you know, might not be ready right now, but once he is good night, I mean, he's, you know, he, what is he about six, one, six, two, two, ten, And, you know, is rumored to be one of the fastest guys on the team at that size. I mean, that's really impressive. So once he gets it figured out, he's going to be great, but you know, probably not ready at this point, you would think. So, 
you know, there are some unknowns in the secondary. That's what gives me pause a little bit because, you know, I think, you know, the defensive front, they're going to figure it out, I think. The secondary, TBD. I mean, I think, you know, once you have a few of these recruiting classes with Venables getting DBs, I think you're going to, you know, see a difference. But right now, I'm not sure they're there yet. So that would be my biggest concern there. And so Chisholm, on top of that, with like, if you have any concern with the defensive backfield, specifically the defensive backs, um, who do you think is going to be that second cornerback opposite of Woody Washington? Because they've been, they have been filtering in a lot of players, yeah. uh, getting a lot of playing time at the end of camp on, on into, you know, in, they're on into game week. I imagine they have to establish somebody. Um, but who do you think is going to be that guy opposite of Woody Washington? Because they are trotting out several guys. I mean, can I Walker, uh, CJ Colden, uh, Jaden Davis, uh, DJ Graham. Like you have several guys that you have that you've seen, um, but not too many guys seeming seemingly being able to be sticking at that position. So what do you think? Yeah. And I think this offseason has been a little bit tough to evaluate the cornerback spot. My guess is going to be DJ Graham and Justin Harrington playing the nickel, which Justin Harrington is like the biggest upset of all time, but that's what that's what I'm being told is that he's going to be a pleasant starting. surprise for sure. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, like him in the fold was really refreshing. I love. I that. thought he was going to be a a guy who just kind of like died by the transfer portal, right? He enters the portal, doesn't find a landing spot, and he's just stuck there. And for him to come back as a walk on and potentially earn a starting spot, like all the credit in the world. Uh, but yeah, I think DJ Graham's going to be on the outside, and I think DJ's off season, uh, like is a little bit more complicated than maybe like it, like it's, we all know these facts, but when you think about them linear, uh, linear, wait, linear, linear, linearly. Linear. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. A, it's yeah, a great word. Uh, it, uh, it actually makes a little bit sense. And maybe this is a struggle, right? Like played wide receiver in high school, came in as a true freshman, moved to corner, getting coached by, you know, a, a linebacker, right. To play the corner position in an incredibly simple defensive scheme, right. Where they're seven yards off the ball. First two steps are back and then they close. Like, He's doing the same thing over and over and over. And for a guy changing sides of the football, that's not helpful to learn actual, you know, defensive technique as a corner, especially a defense that can be as complicated as Brent's. So I think if we take that into consideration, we probably should have guessed that he was going to struggle in the spring because mm-hmm. he was going to need a lot of skills that he hadn't been taught and didn't know. Uh, and so I think that it got better for him over the summer. Uh, it's it's getting better in the fall. But early, I would expect this group to probably struggle again. And it's not like a talent thing. I think it's going to be a little bit of a we're going from like the the eight color crayon box to the 64 color crayon box. Mm. And things are a lot harder. And I think they're going to make mistakes. And especially like even a, a game like Kent State. Kent State's not going to beat Oklahoma. But Kent State didn't score less than 25 points last year in a game. Mm. Like they're a pretty good offense and they brought back 10 starters. So. Are there going to be a couple times that maybe a wide receiver gets loose behind, you know, DJ Graham or, or Justin Harrington? I think so. Um, so I think that's going to be a work in progress, the biggest work in progress on the defense. But a lot of that is just based off they have talented personnel without a ton of experience running a very complicated system because Brent disguises stuff on that back end, right? And guys are mm-hmm. rotating all over the place and sending blitzes or or dropping into you know corners of the set or the or the deep half and the safeties dropping down to be the man covered like. That's just stuff that they didn't do last year. And it's stuff that a guy coming from the wide receiver position in high school didn't get any practice at. So, I mean, this is kind of like his true freshman year almost uh, whenever it comes to like running a true collegiate defense for DJ Graham. So that's going to be my guess. Would it shock me if he got benched? No, uh, but I think that's probably who they're going to start with. 
people stay sleeping, and you brought up a great point in that, Chisholm. People stay sleeping on Kent State. I mean, they I know they finished last year seven and seven, which again is the the feels like a very weird weird win-loss record for a college football team, seven and seven. Um, they won they won the Mac East. They obviously I think they lost in that championship game. And they brought back ten starters from that from that team, and it's just that's not We're a team to sleep place on. First place votes in the MAC this year as well. Yeah, that's not a team to sleep on. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people are just like, oh, it's Kent State, you know, like we don't even know what Kent is. Are they, is, is it Kentucky or is it just some yeah. random name? You know, <laughs> it's like that's what that's what people think. This isn't playing like Akron a few years ago. Like this is like, I mean, it's it's a team, right? That yeah. that's going to do some things. And so, to your point, yeah, yeah, I would, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they gave OU a couple of anxious moments, uh, just because of their style of play and, well, the learning curve going on on the defense that we're kind of like talking about. Like you just said, DJ Graham, the guy we talked about the defense for several podcasts, super simplified. Now, holy crap, you have a lot of jobs and duties just on one play. Um, and then it just accentuates itself even more when you go down on the list. And so if there's one area of improvement you'd like seen in this iteration of the defense, besides defensive backs, just like, like not even just like a position group, just like one area, it could be tackling, it could be uh, strips, it could be strip sacks, it could be whatever. If there's one area of improvement you'd like to be seen in this iteration of the defense going into 2022, what is most important to you? And Chisholm, I'll go to you first. Yeah, I think that like, especially nowadays, uh, you know, there's different segments of the population of how they look at a defense. And for me, with the way how good offenses have gotten, with the better play we're getting out of quarterbacks, yards aren't that big of a concern for me. Like the the couple of things that I look at are third down, fourth down conversion rate. I, you know, that that's obviously incredibly key. Uh, and then the second thing is, uh, you know, turnovers. And like that is that's defense to me. Like if you can take the ball away from the other team and create extra possessions for your offense, you're going to be okay. Uh, and if you can force a team when they're in a, you know, a uh, a down to go situation as far as like, you know, get it or give the ball back to us. That's huge. Um, and so like, I'm not going to be obsessed with the yards. I'm not going to be obsessed with, you know, Hey, look, we gave up, you know, a 35 yard pass that it's, can they take the ball away? Uh, and the easiest way to do that is sacks and turnovers. And so those are things they struggled with last year in real big stretches. So, you know, there's that lull uh, in the middle of the year where that defense really struggled. Um, and then, you know, they, that last season was so bizarre where the defense was good. The offense was bad. Then they inverted and they went mm-hmm. back. Um, that's going to be, that's going to be the big thing, um, for me, as far as like where they can improve in this defense is they got to create more turnovers than they did last year, which they were pretty good at it. Uh, but they need to create more turnovers and, and sacks and pressures and consistent sacks and pressures. Like they can't have the defense play good for four weeks. Defense play bad for four weeks. Defense played good for three, four weeks. They, they just, we can't do that again. Yeah, it, it was it's 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 interesting to look at the numbers. Like if you just look at the numbers, you're like, oh, they had a pretty okay year last year, but then going and back and looking at the game logs and being like, oh, they got the majority of their turnovers in this cluster of games and were complete crap for these couple of games, and then they clustered up some more. Jack, what about you? What 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 would be an area of improvement that you think is pretty paramount? Yeah, just kind of expanding on what you were saying or just kind of, you know, piggybacking on what you were saying. I mean, consistency on defense is what I would say, because like you were mentioning, 
they got much better, you know, to Alex Grinch's credit, this defense got much better at capitalizing on turnover opportunities over the past three years. That situation got much better. I mean, you saw before he arrived, OU, I mean, it was a minor miracle that OU was winning as many games as they did with the issues with turnover differential that they were experiencing prior to that. That, to some degree, was fixed under Alex Grinch, to his credit. I mean, but consistency has to be a big part of it, and you still saw a lot of issues with open, open field tackling, and I understand that that's kind of the way that things have been going across the country a little bit. You don't see open field tackling that's quite as good as you saw in the early 2000s, but you know it, that does have to get better, and that was one of the bigger weaknesses that you saw. I mean, they're, they've gotten better at finishing plays in the backfield. They've gotten better at getting to the quarterback. I, you know... As far as, and a lot of those guys are returning this year. So, I mean, I don't necessarily think that that's going to be an issue, but consistency and consistency with tackling and doing the little things would be what I would point out there for sure. Because a lot of the issues from, you know, the Stoops regime, you know, the Mike Stoops defensive regime have been fixed by Alex Grinch to his credit. I mean, he was far from perfect, but, you know, he kind of did what everyone called him to do. So. Yeah, I mean, like they went from the very bottom of the barrel to something that you could not necessarily hang your hat on, but something that was seemingly reliable in, I mean, one, in a couple of years, like right? Last year, I mean, you saw them save OU's bacon more than once last year. Yeah, mm-hmm. quite a few. Really season, more, yeah. Honestly, you know, it was, and you know, they they kept them in that Baylor game when they had no business being in that game, as bad as the offense was playing that day. Mm-hmm. It was. Oh yeah. Nebraska game too, West Virginia game, like yeah, all those oh, times. West Virginia, yeah, Nebraska. The offense is just stalling out for no reason, and the yeah. defense is just getting the ball back, getting the ball back, yeah. And and so besides Billy Bowman, as Brent Venables is, as as transparent as he is, who he thinks is being the most consistent, and he said if there, he had to pick one player that's playing the best, it'd be him. Who's going to be a breakout player for you guys on this team other than Billy Bowman? And I'm going to say – I'm going to say Braden Willis. Jack, who are you going to say? That's a really good pick. Um, I'm going to stick with what I've said in previous podcasts. I'm going to say Jaleel Farouk because I think he's going to be one of the better deep threats on this team because you're going to see this team go downfield a lot in Jeff Levy's offense. So Jaleel Farouk is a guy who I think is going to get a lot of those opportunities and someone who was flashing in bowl practices and in the bowl game, I think he's carrying some momentum and I think he'll do a lot this year. What about you, Jason? Yeah, I think uh, I think like the obvious answer defensively is Ethan Downs because he's going to go from someone who's playing such a limited role to, I mean, a majority of the snaps playing defensive end is their primary defensive end. So I think he's going to I think he's going to have one of those things where obviously everybody in the OU football program knows exactly who he is. But going into the Red River Showdown, right, and they're doing like the highlight package and the you know who to watch out for. Well, who's leading the Sooners in sacks? It's probably going to be Ethan Downs, and he's going to have a little bit of a this kid from Oklahoma leading Oklahoma's defensive pass rush element to it that I think is going to be a fun storyline to follow this year nationally as people kind of recognize how good that kid can be. Oh, no, don't say that. People are going to start making Dan Cody parallels. (laughs) Oklahoman defensive end happens to to have a certain amount of melanin. Um, (laughs) Gosh. Let's talk about the elites not wanting us to tailgate. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. Buying insurance can be complicated, and you might have a lot of questions, like, what if my policy doesn't cover that? Or, what if I need to make a claim in the middle of the night? Good news. State Farm is there for all your what-ifs. You can reach them 24-7, talk through any questions with your agent, and you can even file a claim on the State Farm mobile app. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com to get a quote today. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, kind of ish. So here's the deal. Oklahoma introduced this plan not that long ago, right? Um, they said you can have a tent for, for 10. It's like $475. Burger tents can go up to upwards of $2,100. And what a deal. And chairs. And then giving it away. Giving it away. It, 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 it gets better though, right? Tailgating prices can also vary by game. So if it's a bigger game like Bedlam and Norman, those things could be 800 to 3200 a game if you want to tailgate. Um, so why did why does University of Oklahoma hate fans? That, that's what I <laughs> want to know. It's not so much that they hate fans, it's that they like money. They what? like money a lot. I hate money. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, okay, so with the private tailgating, I will say this. This has become a trend nationally the past five years or so this private tailgating thing. You're seeing this even at SEC schools. The problem in this instance is that OU has very limited space for tailgating elsewhere. It's never been a centralized situation. There was Lindsay Street when I was in school and before that, where that was the big centralized tailgating area. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of fun. Then David Boren decided to build his Harry Potter dorms there. And now that's, now there's limited space there. And for a while it was, you know, not permitted. And now it's private tailgating there for an astronomical fee. Now, what this is going to cause, and I mean, it's it's honestly not that different from last year because there was no tailgating there last year. Mm-hmm. So now it's just private tailgating. But it's forcing all of the, I'm putting my tinfoil hat on here. <laughs> this <laughs> is forcing all of the foot traffic and the money and the drinking up to campus corner. And this is, I'm going to say this kind of stimulating the economy locally. You know, your people are supporting those businesses. People are, you know, staying off the lawns of the campus and not littering there. It's kind of calculated here. I think, I think they're kind of, trying to push tailgating up to, you know, where they can charge people money for alcohol, essentially. And, you know, doing that a little bit with this private tailgating situation. I mean, they, you know, when they see people bringing all their own alcohol, they see a lot of money that's not going in their pocket, essentially. So that's the direction that that's going in. But, you know, it's like I said, the private tailgating thing, that is a national thing. However, places like LSU and Ole Miss 
you have plenty of areas elsewhere where you can tailgate publicly. OU just doesn't have that. There's not that much open land at OU in comparison to the rest of, you know, the entire state, essentially. Yeah. It's pretty compact mm-hmm. in Norman. I mean, it's there's not a lot of parking. There's not a lot of open space. I mean, it's fairly dense. You so, mean I can't tailgate and drink, like, two six-packs at one parked at, like, the Methodist Church just down the street? You can still do that, I'm sure. Okay. But, like I said, there's not really a big centralized area for it that makes other places so good. Granted, no one else has the Grove. The Grove is its own thing. No one else can compete with that. But, you know, the best tailgating locations in the country are places that have large centralized spots for people to congregate. Mm -hmm. OU just doesn't have that anymore. And I don't know that there's much that can be done about that, frankly. I think the only, you know, someone else brought this up. You know, they don't want people tailgating around the duck pond at OU. And I understand why, you know, for littering and, you know, the ecosystem and all that kind of stuff. But that would be a prime spot otherwise. And it's just kind of a non-starter, unfortunately. So what most of us are going to have to do, I mean, it's going to be pushed to Campus Corner and to, you know, the West neighborhoods and the North neighborhoods around campus, which that's a lot of fun, too. I'm not going to lie. I, I mean, you know, houses around campus, they're fun to tailgate out as well. So, you know. Yeah, tailgating oh, well. around the railroad doesn't doesn't sound too safe. No, no, no. Yeah. To the east, no. Well, yeah. I used to do that. I used to live right there. But, um, yeah, that, that wasn't very safe. And you, <laughs> Hit your ride. Yeah. But um, anyway, yeah, it's just it's when SEC schools come to Norman, they are going to turn their noses up at the tailgating situation. And it's not really the fault of the fans, honestly. So, so it's ch- partly think, set up and partly the administration. So just yeah. yeah, what do you think? Turn your nose up is, is like turn their nose down. They're going to be thinking like, what is this frou-frou BS going on? That's what they're going to think. You, oh, know I mean? well. like, you know what I mean? Like. They're not going to like look like down on it. They're going to look up and go, wait, did you see where we're doing this? Have you been to the Grove? What is this like library we're hanging out with here on OU's campus? <laughs> like, I, here's my two cents on it. Is, first of all, I'm not a tailgater, right? And so like, I'm not the, I'm not the, I would never in my life spend $475 on a tent uh, to drink beer under. So I will admit, I'm not in this demographic, but my issue is, is my larger issue with college football as a whole, which is this off season, I was getting press releases in my email about them beating record numbers in donations. They have more money in the athletic department than they've ever had in their history. They're bragging about it, right? Because by a look, lot too, by the way. Right. And, and, and by it's, a large number. Right. And it's, it's the fallback from the Lincoln Riley stuff. Right. And so they're trying to like, you know, Hey, look, the program isn't going to wither away into nothing because one guy left. And I understand why they did it at the time, but I got those emails, right. That they basically saying we have more money than we have ever had. They're making the move to the SEC. For what reason? Well, because they're going to be making a lot more money on the TV deal. Okay, so now you're cashing in there as well. At what point do any of those giant, massive uh, bragging points that they have financially ever come back to the fan? Season tickets aren't going to get cheaper. Uh, day of game tickets aren't going to get cheaper. Single ticket purchases aren't going to get cheaper as you move to the SEC. Right? All of this is increasing. And all of this is going to continue to go up. And nowhere is any of the financial gains made by these athletic departments ever coming back to the fans that support it. And so I guess like what my two cents would be 
is that if you're not going to like cut a deal, right? Like you're not going to sell a $6 hot dog for $2 or you're not going to charge $50 instead of $75 for a ticket, then don't add new expenses. And like these continue to be new expenses. Like you just like it, this is like a, a life question, but at what point is enough, right? Like mm-hmm. how much money is enough money? Like, do we need to squeeze every fruit dry of every drop constantly and just nickel and dime people, uh, you know, where, where football isn't approachable anymore. And so like, you know, I said this on the air, like if I didn't do what I did for a living, there is no shot that I could ever go to know you game. I don't make enough money. Me and my wife don't make enough money to do this. And so like, it, it's, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly unobtainable for maybe lower income people, which is again, me. So I'm looking at it from my point of view. And that's the stuff that bothers me. Like, I know you're not going to make things cheaper because no one does that nowadays. But don't come up with new ways to get more money out of my pocket that I wasn't having to pay for prior. And, and to your point, Jack, I mean, this SEC move, like it's going to take all of three months before OU is labeled the snooty nose up in the air. We think we're better than you program of, of the SEC. And that's not a look you're going to wait because people are going to think that you're not taking it seriously. And I this is I said this on the air and a lot of people got upset, but it's the truth. OU is going to be labeled like the Pac-12 school in the SEC if they're not careful. Oh. That's just the truth of it because they're that going to be seeing someone who isn't taking like football culture seriously, that yeah. they're turning it into a business, not yeah. a sport, right? Like the reason the SEC is so good is because they make every decision from a sports, you know, from a let's win games, let's win games, let's win games. And SEC people are going to see the OU game day environment and they're going to look at it, oh, this was a business decision. This isn't about the football. Mm-hmm. And like that's the label they're going to get really quickly. Really quickly. And so while you're still hot on that, Chisholm, I want you to answer this question then. And then, Jack, I'm coming to you with the same question. So I've been watching a lot of SEC football games lately. I mean, particularly the, the ones that you recognize the brand the most. LSU, Florida, Bama, Georgia. You know, you get you get the lay land. If you were to describe the Oklahoma game day atmosphere to one of these fan bases that haven't been Norman. Of course, Alabama came in 2000 and 2002 uh, to Norman. If you were to describe an, this atmosphere to an SEC fan that's never been to Norman, how would you describe it? Uh, like my, like I, I've, it's an NFL style tailgating, which is not wrong. Like there's nothing wrong with that. But OU is way closer to the Dallas Cowboys than they are to LSU. They're like way closer. And if you go to a Dallas Cowboys game, it's a lot of it's a lot of people who are coming from outside businesses to Jack's point, right? Campus corner. It's a lot of people coming from restaurants and bars a block, two blocks, three blocks away, funneling in at the last possible second into the stadium, mm-hmm. right? In the immediate area is just, you know, cars, parking, foot traffic, right? Not a lot going on. That's how that's how Jerry World works. Are there tents out there? Of course but not hundreds, you know, dozens. <laughs> like, And so I, I, OU is way closer to an NFL atmosphere where it, it feels a little bit more sterile. It feels a little bit more put together. Um, and, you know. A little just, more geriatric. <laughs> and then yes. I, the, the, in, the in-stadium environment, it just frankly doesn't have as much juice. And like the, the example I always give is I have been to, if I did the math, I don't know, 40 OU home games, right, uh, over the course of my life, uh, between work and just personal stuff. I've been to one game in Manhattan. I came back from the game in Manhattan, and I couldn't hear out of my right ear because, like, they were so loud, it made my ears ring. And I woke up the next morning, I thought, oh, my God, did I bust an eardrum? 
at this stupid you know, Kansas-Manhattan game where they're playing Auburn. Both, two teams that weren't ranked in the top 25, but it's just two big programs playing each other. And, like, been a lot of OU games. I've never had that. Never had that. And I just – I think it's – OU would never admit this, but I do think it is a facet of, like, the environment they put around the game. Like, LSU, Alabama, Georgia, they encourage you to, like, make this an all-day affair, act a fool, have fun. Like, this is a party. Like mm-hmm. support this team like it's like it's like with your dying breath. That is not exactly the same messaging that is being sent out by Oklahoma. Like even even the University of Florida and Tom Petty's "Stand My Ground" is m- better than Crazy Train in my opinion, and it blows my mind. Uh, Jack, Jack, same question. How would you describe this atmosphere to SEC SEC top tier schools and fans? So I would say for the most part, fairly you know, ho-hum, fairly stale. And I think a lot of it has to do with, okay, so I'm going to say that some of this, as far as in stadium and out of stadium, I'm confident that a lot of this is going to take care of itself with the move. I think part of the reason why OU's environment is so ho-hum is they're, you know, kind of bored with hosting Iowa State and Kansas State and Baylor. I mean, even when those schools are good, it's just not a sexy matchup. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. It's not like bringing in LSU, even when LSU is like seven and five or six and six. That still carries more weight. Yeah. You know, I think part of that will help because, I mean, when you've been in Norman for a game where it's rocking, it's rocking. I mean, when there's reason for the fan base to be excited, they're excited. When there's, when you have that, you have great tailgating. And I think, as far as the tailgating is concerned, you're they're going to have a wake up call at some point. They're going to host LSU for the first time, and it's become it's going to become a big topic about how the LSU people thought that our tailgating environment sucked, and it's going to be a big thing on Twitter and on social media and on TV and everything like that. SEC Network, whatever. And at some point, it's going to be a wake up call a for the fans and b for the administration. And certain things, I think, are going to be corrected as a result. So I'm confident that these issues over the next 10 years or so are going to take care of themselves because there's no shortage of passion for OU football. Mm -hmm. They just kind of have to have a fire lit under their ass sometimes. And I think moving to the SEC is something that is going to light a fire under the ass of this fan base. You know, are they going to be as crazy as LSU? No. No, they never will be, but that's okay. I mean, you could still be, you know, one of the better top half environments in the SEC. If, better than better sure. than most. If if they, uh, yeah, if they have that motivation to do so, and I think uh, part of are you telling me the environment is close? Are we doing that again? No, 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 not right now. No, not right now. It's not even close. Not even a little bit. I mean, it's you know, it's good. I mean, it's it's better than most of the Big Twelve, I would say, but. Sure. You know, it's 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 nowhere near a lot of these schools in the SEC. But I mean, some of those I will say this, some of the environments for tailgating in the SEC are a little overrated. It's a little overstated sometimes. A&M, for one, their tailgating is pretty ho-hum, honestly. Their stadium environment, a little overrated, frankly. I mean, Kyle Field, it's cool, but, you know, it feels cool because like the volume of people. The, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, yeah and, well, I mean, and the, the noise, it feels forced. It's part of like their ritual, essentially. Yeah. It's cool, but it's not like a rabid fan base. It's there. Have you ever been to Death Valley? I've been to Death Valley, yeah. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay. No, that's great. No, yeah. that, that's, that's the outlier right there. And then yeah, Georgia's yeah. great. Florida's great. Mm-hmm. All that kind of stuff. But uh, I mean, you know, I, I think if the fire is lit under OU, they can be competitive in that regard, I think, but circumstances have to change. And this is the circumstance that will, I think, be the catalyst there. So I have hope, but and so it's going to be a rough, it's going to be a rude awakening at first. I will say that. To your point, is there like what else can OU do to improve the stadium atmosphere? I mean, like I think like like you said, we hit on it earlier. Like uh, it, it could be a cultural thing. With I mean, like you're in a conference where the other team that's supposed to be the best, they're supposed to be the best. Is that is Texas, in which they have not been that for like since Mac Brown was there and Vince Young were there. Uh, Colt McCoy, excuse me. And uh, it's just not sexy, right? I mean, you're hosting Iowa State, Texas Tech, Baylor. Right. I mean, even even when those teams are actually good, it's it's not LSU, it's no. not Alabama, it's yeah. not Georgia, it's not Florida. Um, and so I think it's quite possibly just taking it to a, a, a fan base that I think is quite frankly, and I think a lot of people would have. Uh, agree spoiled uh just because That's the amount of time well, yeah you've won the conference just outright you expect domination so when people behind you are like hey will you sit down during this game because you're about to rip off the next five wins like that's just kind of the culture that has been created as a result of bob stoops being so successful and his tenure at ou yeah um so like you said, Jack, uh, just like alluding to that, I think going to the SEC and actually going to other away games that actually mean something, even if an LSU team it has lost three games, doesn't mean they're actually not good. Um, and that doesn't mean that their stadium still won't be batshit crazy, even if they are bad teams. I mean, like, everybody still remembers the fan that got on the edge and walked like a dinosaur in death Valley. Everybody still remembers that fan Absolutely. from LSU. Uh, it's, it's just not like that. at OU right now. Uh, it may never be reached that mo- that place because death Valley is special, uh, but it's just something that needs to change. All right, let's do some more. Li- what's more likely uh, before we get out of here. And then one last thing. So what's more likely and Chisholm, I'm going to come to you. OU finishes the season with nine wins prior to the bowl game, or they win the Big 12 Conference, which is more likely to you? Do you mean nine or fewer? Uh, Nine, yes, nine or fewer. That's okay. correct. I, uh, winning the Big 12 is probably is probably more likely. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not crazy about the Big 12 Conference this year as far as, like, uh, competition for the upper, for like the upper class. Um and so I would lean that direction. I really, man, you guys are probably doing the same thing I am doing right now, which is like, we're so close. And, and I'm, I'm just doing the mental gymnastics of trying to set my own bar. Like, what do I think Oklahoma's going to accomplish? Mm-hmm. And I, I look at their schedule and I go, I don't really think anybody can beat them outside of Baylor, Oklahoma State. And then I'll just say Texas is like, because kooky things happen all the time in yeah. Texas and who knows. But I'll just say, you know, Baylor, Oklahoma State are the two teams that can beat them. Let's say they split. That's one loss. Okay, maybe someone sneaks up and beats them that we don't see coming. That's two losses. They're probably in the Big 12 championship game with two losses. I probably like who they're playing. Okay, so OU's going to win the Big 12. Well, maybe not. Like, like I keep like doing like the logic, and I get to the end, and I go, well, that can't be the right answer. 
Like, like, like there's no way that should be my expectation in year number one. So I, and then I try to talk myself backwards. And so I would guess uh, that like the more likely scenario is winning the big 12, but man, like I really struggle to like nail down exactly what I think they're going to be able to do this year, because mm-hmm. the way the schedule lines out playing in the big 12 championship game should be the bar. Uh, but that just, I mean, that's, that's a big ask for a coach in year number one with a transfer quarterback, changing offenses and defenses in the span of four months, but that should be the bar. Yeah. Jack, what about you? Yeah, I would say big 12 championship as well. And I think a lot of it has to do with kind of like Chisholm said, the way that the schedule is laid out, getting both Baylor and OSU in Norman this year is enormous because those are the two real competitors for the big 12 crown. You get Mm -hmm. both of them in Norman. That's enormous. Now, is OU going to have their one stinker game this year that has you scratching their head? The inexplicable loss every I, year. I am always psychologically prepared for this. I've, I've been hurt so many times, and I am prepared for it to happen I'm again. Really I'm hurt again. You know, it could happen uh, in Fort Worth this year. It could happen, you know, hosting Kansas State this year, the week after Nebraska. I mean... There are many possibilities for that, um, but I would say in all likelihood, just with the way that everything is laid out, I mean, I don't picture OU losing more than two conference games this year, which that would equate to OU making the Big 12 championship game and probably winning it. So I would, I mean, Baylor. And if they do that, they, they might be in the college football playoff. I don't see, like this is the thing I've been doing. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I go, wait, what if they win the Big 12 with one or two losses? They might be in the playoff. If they win, if they only lose one game, the statistical likelihood is OU making the college football playoff just because of the other way things fall in other conferences. Usually that's good enough. So I do I think they're good enough to win a game there this year? Probably not. I just don't think they have uh, the roster this year. And it's the first year of Venables reign. So I, I just... I don't quite see that, but winning the Big 12, I would say that's much more likely than only having nine wins entering the uh, bowl season. So, yeah, definitely. And I, I think I think that's more than fair. I mean, I, I would say I would say the same thing. I would say they would be more likely to make it to the conference championship game and win it than only finish with nine wins prior to their bowl game. And considering the amount of teams they're going to play, especially the amount of teams, like you said, Jack, uh, that are they're playing at home with the teams that actually matter. I mean, like Texas tech being away that, especially if it's a night game could always have some fun stuff provided for you. Um, and that probably going to get big noon though. So we'll see. Yep. Yeah. I know. Right. Good old big noon. I love that. Loving those 11 AM kickoffs. Yeah. Um, all right. Next one, Jack, I'm coming to you first. Gabriel throws for 35 touchdowns or more. Or Eric Gray uh, has a thousand yards or more on the ground. Which is more likely to you? I think this is an easy one, and it's Gabriel throwing thirty-five touchdowns. And the reason and this isn't a knock on Eric Gray at all. I mm-hmm. think it's just really difficult to rush for a thousand yards in a season when there are a lot of different options in the backfield. And I don't think OU is going to use him as a bell cow or anything like that. He's just not really built for that. So. I mean, he's going to play a huge role. He's going to definitely get plenty of touches in general. He's going to be very active in the passing game, you would think. So mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a great year. I I, I don't think a 1,000 is all that likely for him as far as rushing yards are concerned. But Gabriel, with the you know volume of plays that they're calling this year, 
I think that's going to help a lot in with the tempo. So I think 35 touchdowns, I, I would not be shocked at him going over 40 in touchdowns this year. I think that's very much within play. So, yeah, I would absolutely say Gabriel. I would say that's the expectation for Gabriel this year, honestly. Chisholm, do you agree with that? I think both those numbers are hard. Um, both of them are are up there. So last year, Ole Miss's offense, uh, we talked about this this week. Um, they had three three running backs, not counting Matt Corral, who led the team in rushing attempts. But they had three running backs over 100 attempts. So just if that is going to be their method, right, where it's Marcus Major, it's Eric Gray, and it's somebody else, Javante Barnes or Gavin Sawchuck or maybe both, it's going to be hard for anybody to get to 1,000 yards, even yeah. with the the amount of snaps that we're talking about. The leading rusher last year for Ole Miss, at 768. And so, like, not close. Uh, so that's a big ask. And, and to, to Jack's point, he's not – Eric Gray's not uh, – you know, a running back from Alabama where there's, you know, Mark Ingram, where they're just going to feed up to him 32 times a game. Um, so that's going to be hard. Uh, so I would say that that one's probably unlikely. Last year, Matt Corral trying to win the Heisman Trophy, right? Incredible season. Comes out of nowhere. 20 touchdowns through the air. And so, like, what that tells me is if you look at the numbers of Ole Miss's offense, get inside the 20, they're running the football. And so, like, that, that usually takes away passes – uh, passing touchdowns from quarterbacks. You know, why is Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP? Because inside the five, they're throwing it 82% of the time. You know, they're, they're trying to pad his stats. Jeff Levy ain't trying to pad any quarterback stats. He's just trying to score. Uh, and so, like, that takes some stuff off the table. So 35 is a lot. 35 is a lot. Um, if you made me guess one way or another, I would I would probably go Eric Gray and feel terrible about it. And just maybe he rips off a couple of 70-yarders that, like, really bump those numbers up. Uh, but, like, I don't like, I don't, I wouldn't feel good about either one of those. Yeah. I think that, there's too much of a sharing going on. They're, they're sharing. The sharing is caring. Yeah. Sharing is caring. And, and that, and that's one of those things that I kept on thinking about after I put those numbers down. I was like, man, I remember Jason White throwing for over 40 touchdowns in a season. Of course, Landry Jones is the, the, the statistical leader of like everything passing at OU, uh, except for like game, game records. Uh, for his career and, you know, having over 40 or uh, 40 touchdown seasons. And I was like, okay, Gabriel, they're going to be throwing the ball a lot, but are they all going to be home runs? Because I know Levy, like you said, Chisholm just cares about scoring touchdowns. And I can't get the idea out of my brain that <laughs> the defense is obviously going to deploy some sort of umbrella coverage or coverage to the boundaries and leave Eric Gray where he's got a couple of cuts, one or two cuts, and he's gone. I mean, with the amount of speed he has. And so, for me, Gabriel, I could see him throwing 35 touchdowns when the, if those guys get loose. But at the same time, I could also see Eric Gray throwing for a th- – uh, uh, throwing for – rushing for a 1,000 because Oklahoma – I mean, this was under Lincoln Riley's offense, and this is when the offensive line was good. Uh, and I think they're going to be much better this year than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Uh, is going to have a much easier time running the ball between the tackles, specifically in the interior. Uh, and I think that's much more likely. Now, on to the flip side of that, the things that we don't want to see are the turnovers, right? And so, Chisholm, I'm going to come to you first on this one. What's more likely? You think Dylan Gabriel throws eight or more interceptions? Or is it more likely that Eric Gray puts the ball on the ground and gives it to the other team five or more times? And so wait, the other team has to come up with it. This isn't just fumbles. Yep. It's yep. lost fumbles. Lost fumbles. 
Oh, man, fumbles are so fluky. Um, mm-hmm. I'm going to go Eric Gray because uh, I think they're, they're going to rush the ball more than they throw it this year as far as attempts go. Uh, Eric has fumbled the ball in the past at Tennessee and a little bit last year at Oklahoma, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, famously, whenever they finally decide they actually want to make a play on special teams. Um, I'm going to go that direction. Fumbles are fluky, uh, but I, Dylan's been so safe with the football over the course of his, his career. Like the, the thing that would get you there is like, oh, well, the volume of passing is going to be like attempts is going to go up. So therefore, maybe he's going to be a little bit more turnover prone. The only problem with that logic is obviously he's played in a Jeff Levy offense already. So like we know what that looks like. And so I, I think he's going to be below eight um, for complete turnovers. I just I don't think he's going to be taking a lot of chances, 50-50 balls, stuff like that. I think it's either going to be open or it's not. And, and they're going to utilize some stuff underneath it. Maybe the deep stuff isn't going to be there that Levy likes. I keep on thinking of the Shout Eric to your breakout Gray. candidate, Braden Willis. Yeah, I, I keep on thinking about the Eric Gray muffed punt in Bedlam and Stillwater last year, and it still gives me nightmares. Uh, Jack, what about you? I'm going to go with eight interceptions being more likely, just because if you think about it, eight interceptions in a season, it's that's really not a high number for a quarterback, frankly. It's less than one Even a game, right? being safe. I mean, that's not really a high number. And honestly, I mean, if – if Eric Gray, I know he's had problems with it in the past. If he's approaching that five number for lost fumbles, he's probably not going to have a ton of opportunities to lose fumbles after that is probably the how you're going to see that. So I would go with Gabriel just because, I mean, having eight interceptions, I mean, or having 10 interceptions, really, I mean, he'd still be having a good year if he has those numbers. So, you know, even if he's being safe, I would say that eight interceptions is just much more likely, statistically speaking. And, th- and that's a great point about if you're putting the ball on the on the floor, as the coaches will say, if you're putting the ball on the floor, you're probably not going to get that many opportunities yeah, if he, to if do he that in the future. Three or four lost fumbles after seven or eight games, he's going to be, you know, be riding the pine. I mean, Jack's right. I'm wrong. Not even not even losing the ball, just putting it on the yeah. turf will get you yeah. out of the game pretty quick. Uh, so that that's a great point. All right, next one, Jack. I'm coming to you. Oklahoma is ranked in the top 10 by the end of the season or Oklahoma's ranked outside the top 15? I'd say top 10 is more likely. I, I, I have them going 10 and two this year, which Venable's first year. That's a respectable year. Yeah. I don't think anyone can be that mad about it. I think I, it's a pretty successful year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a new year six bowl right there. And that, that, that's perfectly fine. So, you know, I could see that one stinker game happening kind of like we've talked about then. I mean, I'm going to go back to this. There's not really any logic for this, but that Nebraska game just gives me a weird feeling. I think there's a I lot of people, there are other people who feel that way too. Yep. Same. I'm there. And with you. Do I think Nebraska is better than OU? Hell no. Correct. Do I think OU could drop that game early in the year? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. On the road like that, that's going to be a great environment. Mm-hmm. So you know, I could, I could definitely see that. So I, I just I think wanted to play them at night. Regular season is most likely, and that's going to keep you in the top ten. I think maybe you know higher in the top ten, around eight or nine. But I, I'd say top ten for sure. Just wanted to play Nebraska at night. That's all. That's all it was. You just don't wanted get to play it. Nebraska at night. Uh, <laughs> Chisholm, what about you? OU in the top ten or outside uh, fifteen in uh, lower? What well, they're number nine about? right now, so right, so about losing ground. Uh, <laughs> I think it's basically going to come down to where you think they're going to fall in the Big 12. Like, mm-hmm. a, uh, some team in the Big 12 is going to be inside the top 10 at the end of the year. It just is it 
Is it Oklahoma State? Is it Baylor? Is it OU? Uh, and then as far as teams around them, uh, the Utah hype I buy into, I like Utah this year, but like Clemson, everyone's giving them the benefit of the doubt. I just want to say, Dad was a great coach. DJ might stink. DJ was bad last year. Like mm-hmm. he was bad. And like, just to assume that he's going to figure it out, like maybe, but like, I'm just not totally sold on that. Notre Dame is a little bit of the same. I don't think they have a good quarterback and bad quarterback play. Usually at least you losing games. You should, you shouldn't Michigan total reset. Like, Outside of the top three, like everybody else in the country, I tell you, like, it's a total wash as far as who's going to be there. So they have a real opportunity. It's not like they're fighting uphill by any stretch. So, oh, you ending up in the top 10 at the end of the year, even if they played the Big 12 championship game and lost, is possible. Um, so that's the way I would lean. Outside the top 15, like, they would have three losses? Yeah. You think? That, 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 would be, that would be that they have nine wins entering their bowl, right? Yeah, like – I mean, that's tough. Like, they, I mean, they'd have to have a pretty disappointing year. And I would just like to go on the record, too, that I think Nebraska's going to suck. I'm just, oh, just yeah. They, 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 they should. They I should. Think they're good. They I just should. think that's going to be a weird game. And, I, and, and like you said, Chisholm, to your point about the quarterbacks, right, we've seen personally as people that watch the Sooners how much – good quarterback play can elevate a team's status and elevate a team's performance on the field. Like Oklahoma had to do it with a horrifying defense where every time you knew is third and 30, the other team was still going to score a touchdown somehow. (laughs) And Kyler Murray was going to have to save your butt or Baker Mayfield is going to have to drop 60 or 50 on the other team. And so that's a good point. You bring, bring up just strictly about quarterback play. Yeah. I, I, I think that's that's probably the the right. Experience. There's not a ton of great quarterbacks in, in college football this year. Well, there's not a hey, ton of Spencer known. Sanders first well, team All Big Twelve quarterback. Man, don't worry about Bo Nix hey. in Oregon. There's not a lot of known great quarterbacks. There could be some kids coming who we haven't seen play yet, or maybe some guys who take some giant steps. But just as far as like the known commodities, like you know Young, um, Stroud, and then you know God knows who else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's. It just it makes it interesting this year as far as Carlos football goes because you just can't bank on those guys being big difference makers. And then I'm coming right back at you with this one. This one's hard because like we have no idea. We know Brent Venables is in his 50s and he's waited a very very long time for an opportunity just like this at the University of Oklahoma. Venables is Oklahoma's head coach for at least the next 10 years, or he's going to be the head ball coach fewer than eight. What do you think is more likely? You're really, you're, you're putting me in my, my, uh, my uncomfortable space. I have been on the record. They're like, Brent Venables could suck. I want to be the one guy who just like admits that. Like, we don't know if he's a good head coach. I think he's going to be a good head coach. He talks like a good head coach. He's ran a program like a good head coach. But what happens when he gets into games and he could just be a disaster? We just don't know. There's a lot of guys who've had better pedigrees than Brent Venables who failed. So, like, that's not a knock on Brent. That's just the reality of the job. It's a really hard job to be a successful uh, football coach at a major program like Oklahoma. It's really, really, really hard. Um, so, that just me, that's me giving more credit to the situation of OU, the taking stuff away from Brent. I would lean towards him being there longer. Because either Brent is going to work out and he's going to be there until he retires. Or he's not going to make it four years. You know, mm-hmm. like, it, it just feels like one or the other to me. Like, He's either going to get the Bob Stoops treatment where he's going to have some success early and then he's going to be able to kind of lean onto that for a very long time, uh, be at OU for a very long time. And maybe down the road, they kind of go, hey, Britt, you know, we'd like you to move into a little bit different of a role, but they're never going to 
kick Brent Venables out because he, he's one of their guys. Right. So I would lean that way, but I don't feel good about it. Because like I said, it's a, it's a total crapshoot whether someone's super successful or not early. Yeah. He could be the Gary Gibbs to what Oklahoma's <laughs> former you know coaches are. Yeah. Uh, Jack, Jack, what about you? So a decade is a really, really, really long time mm-hmm. for a college football head coach. So the statistical likelihood of any hire yeah. being above 50% for a coaching tenure, it, the odds are stacked against you, even if you're good, even if you come in with a lot of respect even if they love being here. So just based on those odds, I would say less than 50%. However, the type of person that Brent Venables is leads me to believe that if he does have success, he's not going anywhere. A, he does he strike you as an NFL guy? He doesn't strike me as an NFL guy at all. He would have been there already. Riley definitely did. Riley, I think, is going to be within the in the NFL within five years. I think, I think he's going to leave USC at some point for the NFL. Just, I think that's his next, uh, his next frontier. So, but I feel incredibly comfortable saying that if Brent wanted to be in the NFL, he would have been in the NFL 19 years ago as an assistant or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. He, uh, he seems like a college guy, you know, he's a guy who has, you know, been tutored by Dabo, by Bill Snyder, by Bob Stoops, three guys who, were and are at their jobs for an extended period of time. People who are synonymous with the schools they were at. Mm-hmm. I could picture Brett Venables being that guy with OU. I don't think he has aspirations for going to another college football job. Few would being an OU, Lincoln Riley being the one exception, apparently. But um, yeah, if, if it works out, he's. I think he's in it at OU for the long haul. Because I don't see him as an NFL guy, and I don't see him as someone who aspires to go elsewhere. So I think if it does work out, then it would be, you know, probably a 15, 20 year situation. But, you know, if, you know, but like I said, the statistical likelihood of making it 10 mm-hmm. years at one spot in a college football job, it's going to be even for the best. It's, you know, odds are stacked against you. To me, a lot of it hinges on what happens with Jeff Levy within the next three, four years. Uh, <laughs> because, that guy took on so many responsibilities at Ole Miss that people don't realize, um, and he was a much bigger part of that program than people than people realize, which is a good thing for Oklahoma, of course. Um, Jeff Lebby's not going to be your offensive coordinator in four or five years. That guy's no. going to be head, he's going to have a head 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 coaching job somewhere. Well, maybe. I mean, how many former Browse guys have you seen? I mean, you saw a few like right after you know you saw Montgomery and Dino mm-hmm. Babers, but since then, I mean. How many guys from the Bryles tree have you seen someone touch for a head coaching job? That's I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. Is, is, is let I mean, me look. I think from a football perspective, it was a very good hire. But mm-hmm. if anyone is attached to that as an assistant, it's Jeff Levy. I mean, it's well documented. I'm not trying to stir the pot no, here. Yeah. But no, you're not wrong. He's there's a lot of court documents, there, and he so. was on the sidelines of that damn Tulsa game. Yes. So he would be a very difficult guy for someone to hire as a head coach. There would be a lot of pushback there. There, there are some universities who would do it, I think, but 
it's it's going to be more difficult because he he absolutely has some stink on him. So well, he'd have to do he'd have to do the exact same thing he did to be a coordinator, right? Which is where he goes to a way lower level. Mm-hmm. Yeah, does that for a year, moves up a step, does that for right. a couple of years, so that way every every new employer gets to say, well, look, we're not. We're just hiring him for the same job that he was already doing somewhere else. Right. Yeah. Like that's that's the logic everyone has used to this point with Levy. And I'm not going to go on the yeah. same soapbox I got on when they hired him. But if he wants to be a head coach, he's going to have to go be a head coach at a way lower level, like mm-hmm. right, group of five, maybe lower, then move up to a group of five school, then move up to a power five school, and then maybe he can get to a big time program. That could happen. I don't think he. Yeah, I don't think he can go from the Oklahoma OC to the Ole Miss head coach. I, yeah. I don't see that happening. And, and and that's that's more than fair. I just, I just don't I don't I don't see Levy sticking around for more than five years. Right. Uh, just that that just maybe feels... he's an NFL guy. Maybe he wants to call plays yeah. on Sundays. Who knows? Yeah, and that that would be more likely as far as you know pressure and stuff like that. Yeah, I think him being an OC be, in the NFL is totally be easier. Yeah, I think that could happen. And and even with all that said, uh, him being an OU alum and being on like on, on the same page with a lot of those guys that they just hosted this past weekend with former alumni. Um, he's just out there with the guys because he was with them. He was part of that program. So he could be there for longer, but I just get this idea that I don't, I don't know how long he's actually going to end up being, being there and how long or how well, I guess, I suppose his scheme of offense is really going to fit in with Brent's style of play on defense and how they're going to manage that clock. And we've talked about that for a minute. Uh, last thing we've got before we get off the air, we talked about this before the podcast began said going catfishing with Manti Teo. Very unfortunate situation. Jack hasn't seen the doc series yet. Me and Chisholm have watched it. Um, Chisholm, if you, had to, if you had to give it a movie trailer, what would you say are some pretty important things? Or what would you say that, what would be your, your endorsement? Because you, you would say you would recommend this, right? 100%. So what would 100%. be your endorsement? What would you say about it? Uh, no spoilers. Uh, but if it's one of those things that obviously it's like anytime you watch a documentary for something in history is that there's always things that happen that you forgot or you just did you for whatever reason you just didn't retain. And every time I've talked with this about this doc with somebody, uh, in people who do what I do for a living, right. Where my whole life is just college football. Even me and even others are like, I totally forgot X happened. And like, it is so crazy to have this doc line out because it's just, we all know the Manti Teo jokes. We all remember the memes and like, I remember the national championship game and him playing poorly, but like all the intricacies of that story over the span of like 14 days, like there's just no way one human could remember all that that happened. And so it was crazy to watch it all kind of lined out that way. And obviously the fact that Manti talks is great, but they also have the other side of that story, right? The, the Lene Kakua uh, catfisher who, who does, it was in the entire thing. And so it's interesting to hear kind of both sides of that because I hadn't, I hadn't heard obviously uh, the opposite. Hit. I'm, I'm now very intrigued. Yeah. I yeah. haven't watched it yet, but I mean, I've heard good things, but wow. They have the catfish are on for a lot of it. Oh, yeah. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, that, that they are a main driving force in that. I would say like, yeah, series. like Manti talks the most and, and the catfisher probably talks the second most in the doc. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a recipe for success in a documentary right there for sure. So yeah. You have my attention. So I would say I would recommend it. Chisholm recommends it. I think Jack looks very intrigued to watch it after we he we he watches the new Game That's of Thrones spinoff stuff going on yeah. this oh, evening. 
Um, I'm ready to get hurt again. I'm going to be there tonight. <laughs> I'm turning it on when it comes on live. I'm ready to be hurt again. Yeah. I'm still upset about waiting two years for the last season, what we got from Game of Thrones, but I feel the same. So that, Yeah, they waited two at. seasons for that last season, and it still uh, felt rushed. Yeah. What was that about? I, 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 I don't know, but I hate that, it. That was it. bad. Yeah. You know, they, they, I, I want to give them a mulligan. Just say, hey, look, let's let bygones be bygones. Try this again. Try it as like a 10-episode final season. I will give you a mulligan. Just erase this from your yeah. mind. Felt like the Baylor game last year. How do you? How are you unprepared coming out of a bye week? Yes. That's how that Baylor game felt. That's how the Game of Thrones season. Yeah. It did. That's And we come full circle. <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, to listening to this podcast. Thank you guys for supporting the podcast over this, the, the years. I mean, heck, me and Jack were talking about just like how long we've actually been podcasting together now. Like, I just time flies, man. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness, I forgot how long we've been doing this together. It's been over three years now. I was like, wow, you know, it just feels like yesterday that uh, you're like, hey, you want to come join? So, thank you, everybody, for listening and continuing to subscribe rate us and just listen in and comment and tweet at us you guys can follow us on crimson and uh you can follow us on twitter at cc machine you can follow um jack at at j larry shields you can follow chisholm at chisholm holland you can follow me at k and ccm again thanks guys for listening put the discord link in the bio and we'll check you guys later